Welcome back to another episode of Anatomy of a Rumor, a podcast about B2B marketing and demand generation. This podcast is meant to help young marketers and even seasoned veterans in the field of marketing working inside B2B SaaS space to further sharpen their skills and gain the knowledge and insights from industry experts on how to adapt to the ever-changing field of demand gen and marketing. Enjoy this episode. All right. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of Anatomy of a Rumor. As usual, I'm Shabahat Ali with another extra special guest today. Uh, today's guest is Gabby and uh, Gabby Torres Soller. I hope I did not butcher that. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Gabby is the head of growth at uh, a Melbourne-based uh, B2B tech company called Maytrack. Um, it's a construction company, and today we're going to be picking brains. Uh, of Gabby and because he's got extensive experience in marketing. So welcome to the show, Gabby. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Um, Gabby, I would like to get started um, by getting to know a little bit about your journey in marketing. Um, and, and even before you talk to me about your journey in marketing, first of all, tell me, was this something intentional? Was this something you set out to do or something mm. you stumbled upon? Uh, yeah, a little bit of both, to be honest. I, I, grew up in the US and when I went to uni, I was like, oh, I'll just do that, you know, communications as a degree. But, you know, you kind of really don't understand what that means or what that entails. And of course, through uni, it's all about this theory of communications instead of like the actual real world application. And so I did a lot of comms jobs, like traditional comms, um, like PR and stuff at first. And then I actually got laid off at an agency that I was working at and, um, I stumbled upon a digital marketing specialist role for a startup in Austin. And I was like, okay, I'll apply. I like the, the, the we were actually using this, the software at the, that company that had laid me off. So it made a really easy connection and I don't know how I got the job, but I got it. And so I started there and that's really where I see like, Oh, this is, this is marketing. This is really what um, marketing can, can come about. And so, my journey in marketing really started with them. Um, and I was, I started as just a really, I would call it like a marketing generalist. So I started doing, you know, paid campaigns and email marketing and setting up landing pages and getting really deep into SEO and all of these things. And um, I, I honestly fell in love with it from day dot. I really enjoyed that. And I really never expected to enjoy working in SaaS companies. That was never even in my purview, but it's been a love ever since. I really, really think that the doing marketing for B2B and for SaaS companies, specifically, um, you're really marrying that kind of creative uh, branch of marketing mixed in with this data and mixed in with like seeing how your customers are really engaging with your, whether it's your content or your message or the different events that you go to and attributing all of these different you know, channels and activities to that. And that's really where my marketing journey uh, started. Yeah. Hmm. Very interesting that you say that the journey in SaaS or tech marketing is enjoyable. Normally I've heard marketers cry about it, that it's growth at all costs and the VCs are at us. <laughs> Get us out of here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I think that it's, you're, you're right. And it's definitely, I, I think I feel that pain more now as a more senior as I got at first, it was obviously very easy to, hmm. to see the fun stuff. Um, I did get really lucky because my first SaaS company was a HR software 
And so what we were really selling or the software that we were doing was about creating happiness at work and this company culture. And so it really set the bar really high on how to marry both culture and marketing and the work that we were doing from a SaaS company um, into everyday life. So it definitely always has felt very fun, but I can understand how it's not fun for a lot of people. I think it's about finding the right balance about what your activities are doing and why. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, you, you got to make it fun for yourself. I mean, no matter what you're doing, right? So it's, it's a bit of a, your own mindset. Um, so absolutely. Uh, tell me a little bit about your current role, head of growth. Um, mm -hmm. What what does that mean? What what are the responsibilities? What What's your day-to-day -day looking like? like? What are you responsible for as the head of growth in the company right now? Yeah, totally. So I started off as the marketing lead. I was hired to run and to build the strategy for the marketing department at Matchrock. And um, it's funny because, you know, I always, when, when they ha ask you those questions on where do you see yourself in five years, I, my, my journey has never thought of, I've never seen myself as like, well, I want to be a CMO at a big 500, Fortune 500 company or something like that, which I think most people in my space, or at least people that um, want a more established marketing career would want. I didn't ever see myself like that. And so when that conversation came up, I told my, my direct, my, my, my boss, I told her, I really want to actually end up being more of a CRO. Like I really like the revenue and the operation side of the business. I really like being close to sales and understanding that process and how to make it better. And so when the head of sales actually left a few months ago for, you know, a really great opportunity, they came to me with this opportunity and we're like, hey, so do you want to do marketing and sales and maybe actually customer success as well? And um, definitely scary, but really excited at the same time because I really, and I, you know, I might get some slack for this, but I really think that those three streams or those three departments really should be extremely embedded with each other and starting at a company so young like we're we're just about we've just done our series a last year so we're still very nimble very small um if we're able to connect those three departments really really well the growth i think is inevitable and it will be really seamless and scalable and so my day-to-day um, is really about making sure that the CS team, the sales team, and the marketing team are not only extremely aligned, but that, that we're really working about, around the same goal, which is around that customer growth and that customer health. And on top of that is it's really less about the, I, I miss the nitty gritty. I'm not, in, I'm not in every day looking at website traffic or conversion rates, so to speak, as I used to, but I am making sure that the marketing topics that we're really thinking about relate back to the customer value that my CS team is working on and that the sales cycle continues to be tightened up and that we're using the right resources at the right time to make sure that that transition is seamless, you know, as, as much as possible. Interesting. Um, so, so you're basically leading the revenue function uh, in the company altogether. Um, so Correct. Uh, before we move ahead, I just want to clarify one thing. Are you guys um, sales-led or uh, product-led motion? Like, do you guys offer a freemium kind of product or? Yeah, that's a great question. So we've, we've as many people listening probably know that it's a, a trial and error kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, we are definitely very sales-led first. We do have a, free, I wouldn't call it a freemium model. Um, you are allowed to start using the platform for free, um, but it's not as 
seamless as a as an experience as we want it to be which is totally fine you know we're just working out the kinks but we do have a usage-based model so you start really low on a really low tier and then you can move your way up based on how many um essentially what we do is track materials through the construction project so the more materials you use the more collaborators you bring on and essentially like visitors to a project the more the, the higher the tier but it's what we're trying to get is like the value the more value you can see from the l lower level it'll be kind of almost inevitable that you'll move up interesting interesting so um let's let's talk a little bit about the solution itself um yeah let's let's dive into it like so you told us um gave us an overview that it's about tracking your materials um yeah and i'm assuming this not just that it's a lot more to it so w what does the solution deliver yeah it's it, it, this um, I might be selling it short, but it is kind of just that. But the great thing is that that has so many added benefits to the construction teams that we work with. So, for example, I think one of the biggest things that the, the biggest pains that our customers really see are experiencing is that they don't have visibility across the supply chain of how their projects are going. Right. And so if you think about the way supply chains work all across the world, whether it's construction or something else, you know, the manufacturer starts it and they build it and then it gets put on a boat and then it gets to a site and then it gets, you know, sent to the, its final destination, right? And so the lack of visibility in those, in each of those kind of um, uh, different supply chain check marks, so to speak, it, it, it can cause a delay like, or a risk factor or, you know, costs essentially associated to it if one little thing goes wrong. And what's really interesting is that in construction, materials cost about are about 40 to 50 percent of the project cost. However, 80 percent of the project like problems come from those materials. So our founders really thought, well, if I'm not getting this, if they can't get visibility into where that material is at any time, that can derail the whole project. And that obviously comes with a lot of, like I said, penalties and risks associated to that. So the pro the the product is really built to help connect all of your supply chains together and everyone has the tasks essentially tasks to do which is just bringing that material through the journey of that life cycle from when it's manufactured all the way to when it's installed on site and then everyone's just you know they they essentially just do a check mark and it's everyone's able to see that progress on how that build is going and I think that's really cool is that it is actually really simple, but it solves a really, really big problem um, for, for these com complex supply chains in construction. Very interesting. And, and, and yeah, I mean, I'm not deep into the construction industry, but I've been looking at the news recently. I mean, some mm. of the biggest companies have filed for bankruptcy, like um, what was the name of the company, ProBuild or something like that, right? Yep. Um, yeah. And, 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 and when I... I didn't go very deep into it, but from, on a surface level, what I what I found out was it was exactly the cost of material and they failed to deliver on the raw materials. That was the reason mm. they ended up doing that. So that's a, quite a big problem you're solving. That's a, is, is it that's a billion a dollar one. industry? I think so. We're definitely worldwide. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it, but it, and that's what's crazy is that the the. The, the risk that these that these construction companies hold, like just like that ProBuilt as an example, um, can actually bring them down completely, right? And so we really can help mitigate that risk by giving them that visibility and to be able to be proactive then in the way that they continue their project, right? So instead of being reactive, which is probably what happens to some of these companies that go under and they don't see the problem until after it's actually happened, because of our solution, you're able to catch that problem before it actually even 
before the material even hits the water, they're able to know where it's at, how long it's going to take to get to Australia, if there are any defects that need to be redone, um, because it's all based on that material uh, tracking system. Very nice, very nice. So I think we'll get a good idea of the solution. Uh, I want to go back to the to your role again. And, yeah, of course. Uh, so as a as a head of growth. Uh, what is a misconception about the role of head of growth, whether that be inside the company or outside? What's a what's a wrong conception people have of this role? Um, that's a really good question. I think the biggest misconception that I've seen is that you can't have one one leader doing marketing, sales, and customer success, or marketing and sales, which is more traditional. And I say that because I think each discipline is very much specific to that role, right? You can't, a marketer cannot necessarily always be a salesperson, a CS manager can't necessarily always be a marketer. You know, they have very specific disciplines that they have to, that they just dedicate their career to, right? And they really want to hone in on that craft. However, they do work so well together when they work well together. And I think that having a holistic approach to it and having one person overseeing it all to try to connect them and to bring that alignment across those three departments will really make a, a, a head of growth role successful. Because at the end of the day, um, customers, and it's not just about acquisition, it's not just about your brand recognition, it's about customers at the end of the day when it comes to SaaS. And it, it, you know, SaaS businesses know that it's way more um, expensive to acquire a new customer than to keep an existing one. So if that life cycle is continuously being built and nurtured and that we focus on how that customer experience starts from marketing all the way to success and beyond, then it could be an extremely scalable business. So I think that the misconception really is that that they all that they're all separate functions. They all kind of actually should be working together. Absolutely, absolutely. And th this is an age old debate of the alignment across uh, sales and marketing. And now we've got a, a modern function, which is customer success. Um, mm -hmm. So as the head of growth, <clears throat> as someone who's looking after the revenue function, uh, and you touched upon that, creating alignment is one of the biggest, um, probably job uh, function that you have in there, right? Um, Definitely. And tactically speaking, you talked about uh, keeping uh, a, a view of the customer journey in every mm. department to create that alignment. Apart from having a good view of the customer journey, what are the other tactical things you are doing to create alignment across across the board? Yeah, I think um, I think one of the biggest things. So alignment can come from different ways, right? I think there has to be like overall company culture alignment. Like everyone has to really know that we're sailing on the same ship in the right direction, not that we're doing different things for different reasons. So really having a clear company strategy first and foremost, and how each of those different, you know, whether they're department KPIs or, or department goals, however you want to call them, that they all align back to that one, to that one metric, so to speak, right? So at Matrap, for example, we are really, we're less focused on revenue numbers, like that's obviously important. And that makes an obviously a big impact because we're a business, but we're really trying to focus less on that and focus on the monthly active connections or the monthly active users um, on specific projects, right? Because we know that the more connected the supply chains are, the more of an impact it'll have on our customers, which in turn will turn into more revenue, right? And so I think that the alignment piece there is making sure that everyone understands that they have to drive into that. On the flip side, I think the other thing is making sure that there's a constant 
flow of feedback. And I think feedback is another piece that um, uh, companies or, or um, departments that are like sales and marketing, right, that there is tons of friction. If that feedback loop is really strong, if we're understanding what's working and what's not working and how we can improve it for the next time, instead of the normal old age, um, you know, blame game of, well, marketing didn't do this. And they just handed me all these MQLs and they don't mean anything and they're rubbish and, um, or CS, you know, let this customer churn or sales didn't, you know, like uh, removing that and making it like a, making it more of a feedback loop where we're really digging into how the customers are operating, what things could have we done better, what, like as a team, as one team, not just as each individual player, on the team or each individual department, I think will help read that, uh, or definitely helps read that alignment across teams as well. Absolutely, absolutely. It, it, and, and, you know, we keep debating about, we make keep, especially marketers, we make things so difficult, right? And we you do. just, you simplify it. Like it's about feedback, it's about communicating, right? Yeah. If you want to create alignment, just communicate with each other and you'll find that. Uh, very, very interesting. Um, Construction is a very traditional industry, Gabby. Um, people running it are old people normally. Uh, don't get a lot of uh, digi digital and all of that stuff. They 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 still they're still in their old ways. Mm. Are you finding it tough to penetrate the industry? What are the challenges that you're facing uh, working for such a traditional industry? Yeah, it's actually been a very eye-opening experience, to be honest. Just but this is my first. Uh, construction startup and this is actually the first startup or software that i'm selling that is into a market that is very old school and you know i always when i first started you would hear it as like it's the last frontier for tech and i really didn't understand why and now i i really do and so i i look obviously there are challenges because in i i think if i put myself in the customer's shoes they're seeing it as well, we get the projects done, we do our work, like why change what's not broken, right? And so it's really, what we found is that it's actually creating a change management, it's, it's a change management plan that we have to be working with them, right? Helping them realize that, sure, the way you're doing it is fine, it's not bad, it's obviously worked for a long time, but what if I told you there's an easier, simpler way and that it'll save you a lot of money and it'll save you a lot of time and everyone can communicate and you don't have to have 18 copies of your Excel spreadsheets and you don't have to, you know, be going around the work site for an hour just to check that everything's done. You can do, you know, and then go back to your computer and email and wait for this claim and that claim. And so I think if we're, I think the challenge is, is less, it's less about getting the general adoption. It's about make like, the the issue is that adoption, but it's less about the I'm adverse to tech as a whole. It's more on well, if I don't want to change it because it's not broke broken essentially. So mm. so the the challenge or the the opportunity that we really have in marketing and sales is to be able to demonstrate that value and why why adopting this tech will be better for you. And oh by the way, it's not just this tech; it's our tech that's really going to be the the game changer, right? Mm, absolutely. So what I'm getting the challenge right now you're facing is that you need to make them realize that it's not a nice to have. It's a it's a you need to have you need to have this. Um, absolutely. And, yeah. yeah. And the, oh, well, the, the, the company, the, the industry is also quite like cutthroat in the sense of everyone's trying to, you know, save the most money and be the most innovative in different ways. And 
because then you you really look at you look like the best you know the best in the biz and they want to work with you and developers pick their clients based on that right so i think that if we're able to which we're doing which is exciting if we're able to start with those companies that do see that value from day dot and they're able to really embed our system into their systems and see those improvements on how they can be saving that money and 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 saving that time and increasing efficiencies across the board other companies that are their competitors will be like oh wow they're doing something good like what are they doing and mm-hmm. that's the exciting change that we're starting to see interesting and on the digital front uh, when you're doing uh, across the three functions when you're doing the marketing function uh, what are you seeing uh, because construction industry again traditional industry targeting through digital going to be tough what are you seeing there uh, is there a particular channel that's driving good results for you on digital it's very interesting and it's been actually quite that's one of the biggest challenges that i've seen thus far um it's we've tested a bunch of stuff we've definitely done traditional adverts on like pub trade magazines we've done google ads we've done you know email marketing we do webinars we've done events uh i think the i think the face to face is a really big thing for construction so from a marketing looking into the next year events will probably be one of the bigger things we focus on because they like that that contact with people they like going to job sites and doing things like that um so I see it more as a field marketing approach with with construction companies. I also do think that trade pubs are probably stronger than just traditional media or or sorry or just tra- like paid socials and and paid search for example. Um they obviously, you know, we obviously want to show up when they google us, but we 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 aren't driving the the leads or the traffic, the the best traffic from those channels. And so what's it's really funny because um, we work with this one trade publication here in Australia called Inside Construction, and they've just actually launched their print, physical print magazine this year. And everyone thought they were crazy, but it makes sense because construction is that old school industry. They like being on site and have the magazines and pop it open while they're having a coffee. And like, that's, that's where we know we'll get probably more, more readers than we do online. So, yeah. Yeah, they like reading that with the coffee and the sausage roll. You forgot the sausage it, roll. Exactly, and the sausage <laughs> roll, of course. <laughs> interesting. So um, is there any interesting experiments that you're running on that front, apart from print um, in, in that publication? Is there any interesting experiments that you're running right now? Yeah, from a marketing front, a couple of things that we have we have trialed in the last few months is really digging into um, our social media strategy. And it seems kind of counterintuitive to what I just said, but it's because we actually do get a lot of traction on LinkedIn. We do have a lot of people finding on, us on LinkedIn. And so the the way that I can, the if you look at the, the way that the construction companies are built, right? a lot of them are starting to have those kind of head of digital innovation or those innovation strategy um, people and they live on LinkedIn. They're connecting with people, they're networking with people online. So really building up our our organic social has actually helped a lot and has had really high engagements. We actually just did the social report just you know looking for the last quarter and it's shot up by like 15% month on month just on organic growth and that's just us sharing a few times a week so we're trying to double down on that and really 
focus on being industry leaders, right? And sharing news that are sharing wins about other the companies that we work with that are doing really well, sharing industry news that are kind of more um, dis- that they're, they're disrupting that that the industry, right? With this these innovative techs. Um, and really hoping to penetrate it that way. But the biggest experiment that it's just a continuous trial and error of what are the different messages that are resonating um, and landing. And we've really gone up and down in terms of, or it's, it's been an up and down in terms of figuring out like what the best message is to share with customers to understand what we do. And so that's been the, the, the most interesting experiment that we've done thus far, because we just, we're still trying to tinker like, what is it that we do and how we know what we do, but how do we explain it in a way that customers are like, yep, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and interesting that you mentioned that because so we, we work with a lot of B2B tech companies as well, right? And what we're seeing across the board right now is that content is more important than ever. Like, really is. Um, it, it, gone are the days where it would work for B2B to run a, a, an ad to a landing page and you'll get an email and you'll convert. No, it's not working like that. So it's no. becoming about content. It's becoming about educating in the feed and then them coming inbound. Um, yes. and, and with content, something that I've seen that works really well, um, I mean, this is something that you can test as well. If you've got a subject matter expert on the team, I mean, you've got a gold mine of content right there. Um, Absolutely. So Absolutely. Yeah. Y- yeah. We use, we have actually, we, we, um, we're, we're, I'm quite grateful that we have actually a lot of construction, um, veterans that have either sold construction software or have worked in construction for a while. And so we're able to really understand what the pain that the customers are feeding, feeling, and you're exactly right. I agree. I, I've always said that content, you know, content is king and then the distribution is like the, the second part of that. Right. So what are we making? We have to make sure that what we're saying is driving that value, helping them understand, you know, reframe the way that they're, they're looking at their problem and helping them find the best solutions for that. Right. And so uh, I think that the, our main goal is to really shed light on like, look, material tracking is the way of the future. It is inevitable. Let us help you on this journey. And that's going to start, we're really going to start seeing an impact on a, from an inbound perspective on that soon. Very interesting. Very interesting. <clears throat> so, um, what, what is the most significant driver of growth in, in all of this right now and everything that you're doing? What are you seeing? And particularly from a marketing side and on the digital mm-hmm. side, what are you seeing? Not in, even just in your business, from your observation in general, what are you seeing is a, is a, is a channel that is, that is not heavily saturated, I can say maybe, or that, that has the potential to deliver the biggest growth for B2B tech companies right now? Do you know what? I, I, I have some thoughts. I think the biggest driver, and it may not be a channel, but one thing that I think, uh, and obviously this is very specific to more product-led growth companies and that they just do this really well, but having, we're, gone are the days and maybe not for construction because we're a bit more old school, but gone are the days where you go to, a, like you said, you go, you see an ad, you go to the website, you see that you have to request a demo and you fill it out. People don't want to talk to people. People don't want to really have to go through a really long sales cycle unless it's something like a Salesforce or a HubSpot where you know it's a bit more complex. People want to just trial and try it out for themselves and try to understand that um, that that tool is working for them. And so I think that the biggest 
opportunity is for companies that may not be product led. How can you really build up your product marketing maybe, or your product, um, your product knowledge, so to speak to the forefront and make your product the selling point. And that could be through, you know, we use intercom for example, to do guided tours or to have like chatbots that help with videos and trainings, or even just like, product demos that are like two to three minutes long that can just show you slices of it that you don't have to feel that you have to sit with a salesperson for 30, 40 minutes, right? And so I know that not every business can be product led, but the ones that can't, that can't be, what are ways where you can leverage your product and the product value on the marketing website or on your LinkedIn or on your socials, sorry, or on your email to really drive that like, it's so easy to use. Just let us, you know, I'll, I'm kind of giving you sneak peeks on it, right? And um, so I think that like, it, we're just moving more towards a product led model or product led growth model, I think, across the board, more companies are focused on being product led. And while that, like I said, while that's not for everyone, I think there are specific things that we can do that, like, if you make your product shine, and if you can find ways to showcase your product without, you know, feeling like you're giving away too much, like just being really open with that, I think is going to, um, I think that's going to be the biggest game changer because even when I started in my career, which was, you know, 10 years ago now, it was always about driving those MQLs about those inbounds coming to us and we control the narrative. We control the story. We show them what we want to show them. And then it just drags out and it takes forever then to close a deal. And then it takes forever to do these things. But if we're able to just, just give them what they want, essentially, if they're the right customer for you, they'll, they'll sign up because they're like, yes, this is exactly this is exactly what I want. So removing those barriers are really going to be the biggest drivers from a marketing perspective. Absolutely. And as marketers, it, it, it was uh, about manipulating the buyer's journey for us up till a couple of years Absolutely. ago. And now it's about assisting it and complementing it. There's no other way around it. 100%. And, and another thing that um, you, you touched upon product-led growth and how the so what's basically happening, the, why product-led is becoming important is because the consumer behavior is changing, right? And yeah, the, totally. What, what's happening is basically the consumers now have so much options. They have so much information that a sale, like, I mean, simply a salesperson was required because the customer did not have access to the information and hence the salesperson would provide that information for the customer right. and then they could make a decision. But now they've got internet, right? Yeah. They, they, yeah. They'll get their own information. They don't need that guy. They need to know about the product and they'll find it on the internet. Exactly. And, and an interesting thing that I, I was listening to a podcast this morning by a, by a, by a VC um, and uh, he said that the next wave of product uh, it, in addition to product-led, is going to be a utilization-based model. So, mm. at, and going back to that point of uh, yours, where customers are becoming more sophisticated, right? And they've mm -hmm. got, so, so they need better options. And they're mm -hmm. like, so we don't want to waste like, like a lot of SaaS subscriptions you have, and you don't use them for two months. You don't. You only need them for a certain certain action, certain point. And it makes sense to have a utilization-based model, uh, and that's something that. Companies like AWS is uh, doing a company totally. like VMware are doing like the amount of bandwidth you use, you pay. So that's an interesting thing to keep an eye out on. But I don't know how that's going to affect. Like, I mean, a VC was talking about it, but mm. on the other hand, I'm thinking if a company comes to you with that kind of a model, you're not going to give them any valuations because they don't have a recurring revenue. 
<laughs> no, it's well, to, well, totally. Well, I, I think I, I mean it's 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 really interesting. I actually was listening to a, um, a not a podcast. It was a training, like you know, RevOps training video, and they were talking a lot about that utilization piece as well, and how that's actually what we're going to be seeing more of. So maybe we're listening to the same things, but they also touched on that, and I found that really interesting because, and I agree with your point. It's going to be hard to really like well you know, how to, you essentially want them to be using, using more because more means more revenue. And then if they're always teetering on this, these levels, I guess, how do you track that? But I think it, it always is going to come down to the value, right? And so if AWS, you know, I'm not a, I, I don't use AWS personally, but if I'm finding the value from AWS, I'm going to pay more for it because I need it, right? It's just, it's just, it's, it's what I need to do my job. Mm-hmm. And I think if more products and more SaaS businesses that follow that model or, or tend to or end up adopting that kind of model um they have to really make sure that the value that they're bringing from the smallest usage all the way to the highest is just delivering on that value consistently so it's all about like again i go i go, come back to the customer journey right from a marketing perspective as well like it's all about driving that customer value because a customer is not going to leave you if you're valuable if, you, if you're solving their problem they're not going to want to leave you so you have to just make sure that you're doing that from from day dot. Absolutely. I actually did a LinkedIn post recently and I said, I never in my life have I brought a product. I either bought a solution or an experience. Totally. So, <laughs> you know, so it's about the value that you're delivering. It's not about what you're selling to me. Um, so interesting. Um, let's let's go into. So we've talked uh, about your uh, marketing side of uh, the job, right? Let's mm. let's dive into the, the sales side of the job. Um, yes. So it's, it, uh, there's a lot of debate going on around uh, the traditional demand waterfall model and, and, and the function of an SDR and all of that. So what, mm. what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, we have, a, we have an SDR team. We have an external SDR team um, based here in Australia called Pointer, which is really great. And they essentially are helping us build that type, top of funnel pipeline, right? And I think, it's, I think marketing definitely is... Um, the way I see it is twofold. You need, when you're young, when you kind of haven't figured out what's working and not working, an SDR is great, right? Because that message is can be consistent and you can just get that feedback really quickly and it's human. Marketing takes time. Marketing is a, lot, is a slower burn. and But once it's good, it's really good, right? And those inbounds come and the conversions will be higher and you'll see them like because it's just that consistent flow, right? But that takes a lot of time to build and a lot of time to build it right. Um, and especially now with, you know, how Google changes their SEO and, you know, you have to be paying so much money for these ads and all the other things that, that you know, you can't have, I wish I had 18 people writing content at all times, but that's just not feasible for me, right? So um, from a sales perspective, I, I, I think an SDR team, I think the demand waterfall is important, right? I mean, especially if you're still in a, traditional sales led SaaS company, um, it, it helps, it helps connect the dots and it helps bring people in the door. However, where I do see sales, um, SDR teams or sales functions kind of disconnecting is when you do a, just spray and pray method and just try to hit everyone at once. They all still come with a lot of strategy. Like it has to be built with purpose around it. You just can't, just go after everyone and and hope it something sticks 
because then the salespeople get mad that you're booking all these meetings that have nothing to do with the product and I keep close losting them and then the others don't get paid. And then, you know, and it's just, again, it's just, it creates more headache than it should be. So it has to be thoughtful. It has to be really built out. It has to be done with meeting. You really have to like, and where I struggle is that the SDRs are usually the more junior teammates, right? They're, they're the more junior team members are the ones that get paid the least are the ones that have the highest risk, but they're actually on the front lines. They're the ones talking to these prospects and understanding their pain first. So actually it kind of should be flipped, <laughs> which might be a little bit of a, um, you know, my, my, people might not agree, but I actually think it should be flipped. They're the ones really providing us with the insight on what's working, what's not, why our solution should be better. And they should be helping us drive the strategy as salespeople on how to have these conversations, right? And so focusing more on building that strategy, like what is a nice, really, you know, to use jargon, what does a good IC persona look like? What is our actual, you know, buyer experience should be? The, that SDR team is, is that, they're owning that. They should be a part of that process. And I don't think we give enough merit where merit's due there. Absolutely, I think you, you hit it right in the head. I mean, and that's exactly what I wanted to talk about as well. I mean, it's not the SDR, um, it's SDR people or SDR job function. Like it's it's the way that we set them up. Totally, exactly. right. It's a, I mean, a recent college graduate. You setting them out to talk to a CFO. How can they? They won't be able to have a business level conversation with them. And of course, no. then they're not going to be delivering that efficiency. So. I mean, we really need to rethink the, the SDR model and, 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 and the function of an SDR, the, the role of an SDR, basically. 100%. Because, yeah. So, um, in, in, terms of, in terms of metrics as, as, as a head of growth, what, what are the key metrics that you, because attribution is, is a big topic as well, right? Everyone is very, everyone's got subjective uh, thoughts about what to measure, how to measure them. What what are you measuring and what are you keeping a close eye on for the growth of the company as a marketer and as a revenue person? Yeah, so the, 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 the big things that I really keep an eye out, it's less about volume and it's more about conversion rates. That's really what I care about the most. Um, I obviously want to see, you know, that meetings are being booked. I don't want to, you know, we can't really base metrics off of five meetings a, 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 a year, but... I do think that it's more quality than quantity. So conversion rates are very important to me. I want to understand um, how qualified are these, is, for example, as this SDR team, are the meetings that they're booking the right meetings for the sales team, right? Are they actually entering the funnel? Are people having these meaningful conversations and, are, and is business closing, right? Um, so conversion rates are very important from a, that's from, the, from a sales, um, obviously revenue, closed one is, is really important, but it's more about it. And it's, it's less about the, the actual number um, each quarter, but that there's continuous growth. So we try to track between eight and 10% if we can on month on month growth and just understanding where those level, levels, you know, what levers we can pull to figure out why one month is good or one month is bad. It'll never be always consistent. As we know, it's a startup. Construction is a very you know, fickle business where projects are delayed and things don't start on time. And so we have to take that with a really <laughs> big grain of salt. But those are things that we also, you know, that MRR consistency is something that we really look out for as well. And then 
honestly, the, the other two big ones that I try to focus on, and this is again, because we're so young, there's a lot of things that we've just never done. So I'm trying to set baselines, right? Let's see how many, what we call MQLs, we get a quarter, right? Let's see how many inbounds we get. And we can start with, okay, we've just gotten 20 this month. That's the bench. That's the benchmark. Let's see if we can increase that. And if we can increase that, let's make sure that those conversion rates also increase as well. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the, those are the things that when, when you're so young, you kind of, you throw these words and these um, things and these like, you know, business jargon, but like just trying to set a foundation on let's keep churn really low, whatever that looks like. We don't know yet, but let's just focus on keeping it, let's say under 10%, maybe 10% is way too high. Okay. Let's keep it under, under 5%. Oh, that's actually too high still. Great. Let's keep it under two and like really start figuring out where those benchmarks are. From a, um, from a marketing perspective as well, I, I really, because we're so young, I also just want to see upward trends, right? So that are, that are, I want to understand that our content is being read and that our website traffic, that our SEO is, you know, we're ranking for our keywords and that we're being found on Google. And so I want to make sure that the website traffic is up. Whether or not that converts into something right now may not mean much, but I want to make sure that our visibility into our into the ether is valuable, right? Mm -hmm. um, so little things like that. I think the biggest one, the, the, the one metric that might be a little bit outside of what a growth metric or traditional growth metric would be is user adoption. And that's a really big one that we're actually tracking across all departments, that, including our product team. But um, if we, we know as a business, that's one thing that we have validated that the more people that use the product and this is you know more universal but the more people that use the product the more value they are they're getting the more likely they are to stay and that they are to expand so user adoption is a massive one for the whole company from product to cs to sales and and marketing you brought it home beautifully i think that is the the the, the north star right especially mm. for a younger company i mean that's the ultimate signal of a product market fit Absolutely. Um, so Absolutely. that is definitely the key to unlocking every every, every other aspect of growth. Um, very very interesting. <clears throat> so if let I've got a couple of questions more, but I, I wanna I wanna so something just popped up in my mind. If I made Gabby the god of SaaS marketing for the next sixty minutes, uh, yeah, glo globally, right? And Gabby yeah. could change or Gabby could remove things from the world of SaaS marketing. What would be one thing that you would change in the world of tech marketing? Oh, I don't know if this is if this is the right thing to change, but I think it would be to remove the remove forms from everywhere. Stop oh. making people put in their email for things. And oh. I say that for for two reasons. One, because there is so much content out there, right? It is, we're flooded, right? And we know content is king, but we're flooded with so much content. Why are we gonna make it one step harder for people to consume it? Why should we make it more difficult for people to enjoy what we're saying? I totally understand wanting to grow the database and have people to prospect and all of these things, but let them read it. Let them consume what they wanna consume and experience it how they wanna experience it. Because at the end of the day, what we're, driving is value and if they're getting value from that that should in turn bring them back to buy our business right um so maybe it's not what you were expecting but i really i i do i do them still because it's a bad habit to break and i do still put forms in because you know there's obviously forms you know like i want to make sure that if someone 
asks for a demo, I know who's asking for it. So there's a time and a place. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 that's the one habit that I'm trying to break myself out of is I don't need to track every single person that reads my, my consumes my content because if they are really interested, they'll reach out to us and they'll say, hey, I think you guys are doing a brilliant job. I want to learn more. Well, my lord, you'll be uh, happy to know that we have we are a hundred percent ungated in all of our advertising. I right? love it across all the clients, and and that's and we that's why we don't take on every client if, if we don't match on that. And we're like, we're gonna use advertisement purely as a distribution vehicle, not as Absolutely. a conversion vehicle. Yes, we do. Well, I'm I'm gonna be lying if I said a hundred percent for formless. We are using forms in events. Like if we're yeah. trying to run ads and get someone into an event, we need that information, right? So of course, that exactly. is the literally only point where we've got yep. a form. Apart from yep. that, it's all content distribution, literally yep. ungated through and through. So your wish, well, I mean, yeah, your wish has been granted. At least, at least you're, you're, you're granting my wish. That's... <laughs> <laughs> well, you were the God, but I'm granting the wish. So there we go. <laughs> okay. So Gabby, um, is, is there a company that is doing good marketing that, that's caught your eye recently? Is there someone that you're looking at? So there's a couple of the companies that I really do admire from their marketing. And it's a mix of brand and what I, like what I consider demand, right? Like um, brand, obviously, them being that they have a really strong brand ethos and presence. And, um, you know, you, associate, you hear the, a thing and you associate them to that, right? So... Um, and then from a demand side, that just that really rich content and showing value to those customers and just instilling that in, in turn, that makes me want to use their product, right? So I'll, I'll give two examples. The, um, the brand marketer or the brand mar- marketing uh, god or, uh, would be Miro. Um, they're just, they just have such a strong brand presence. They know what they do and they know they do it well. And they have a lot of competitors in the whiteboarding space and they still out like outsmart everyone in that way. They're really, not only are they just beautiful to look at, but they just really know how to share their message and what it is that they're trying to achieve. Um, and then from a more demand side and they are product led. So it's a little bit, you know, uh, we have to take it with that, but it's intercom. Intercom is still one of my favorite, like, SaaS companies of all times. And um, I wouldn't, I, 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 I don't think I could ever work for now a big kind of scale up because I'm, you know, I'm so used to being in the weeds with the, with everyone in the ground. However, like that, if, if my younger years, that would be a company that I would have loved to have experience working at because they just do marketing so well. They really take you on the journey. They really showcase their product and they help you understand and adopt that product. And they're, you can tell that they're obsessed with that product usage and user adoption. And I think that's really important in marketing. Very interesting. I've noted down those names. I'm going to do a deep dive into their backend and see what they're doing. Um, okay. So um, we've got a rapid fire round at the end, but before the rapid okay. round, I've got one final question. Um, and yeah. In terms of um, outsourcing and it, in terms of agency relations, what do you think the role of an agency in a modern day SaaS business is, and what are the things that you're looking out for in that? Yeah, relation? that that's actually a really a really great question, and I haven't worked for uh, with an agency, and you know I've worked at Matrack for almost two years now, and so before that we've had some agencies. I think it, 
I think the role in an agency could be a really good one. I think that there's a lot of benefit, especially if you don't have the bandwidth or the resources internally to build a marketing team, especially, um, you know, agencies are, are created because they're experts and want to help clients. Right. And so leveraging them for that expertise is, is definitely beneficial. I think the, um, and I know you, you have an agency. I think the, the thing that has always been challenging for me with agencies is especially at a company, for example, of the size of Matrack, where our marketing budget is, you know, less than a hundred thousand dollars a year. It's hard to figure out where to best put your resources. And if it's an agency that is hyper-focused on that demand growth, I think that makes a lot more sense. I don't think that I would put resources in, for example, a brand uh, agency, right? Um, that's not just where I need my money. I need people to to see me, to find me, to help build content, to help build that strategy. And so as long as the agency that you're you're looking for if you're if you're a young SaaS company you just really have to understand first what it is that you need from an agency and engage the right ones that are focused on that that are not focused on you know everything and anything and they do everything right right so we don't we work with web we you know we have a web agency of course because we don't have any you know website um internal website people but that's and then we have us sdr essentially an sdr agency that uh, helps us because these are two functions that we can't have in house, but they help us build the strategy and the process and the maintenance. And so as long as you're, you know, looking for the agency in the right way for the right reasons, you have to really, um, yeah, I, I think they'd be extremely beneficial. Yeah, and, and, and I think um, you're, you're exactly right there. With agencies, I think there's a similar problem that happens with sales and marketing departments internally, the alignment issue, right? And, and that's totally. exactly what you're referring to as well. Um, the, some agencies are just like utterly fluff, like illustration. They'll charge like 30K for branding and logo. Um, right. While the others are focused on like actually delivering the business outcomes and aligning with the business. And that's something that we've realized. So when we started, like I started my agency, we were a general agency. And I started when, when we worked with a few clients, we saw that that was a niche we wanted to go in. And I really studied. And now or that's how we're positioning our agency. So we've pivoted into just that. And yeah. we're calling ourselves a demand gen consultancy, right? And so that's how we're doing it. And that's, um, yeah, just aligning ourselves with the business goals of the, of the business. Yeah. And like you said earlier, you said that you don't take on clients that, you know, don't meet those same, that alignment with your business, right? And I think that's really important for agencies as well because um, they get a bad rap, right? Like I've worked, I have background in agencies as well, and they were more on the, on the traditional side of those old school kind of ad, ad agency, you know, and so it was always just about like, just try to get as much business as you can, whether they fit what you want to do or, or not. And I think that's changing, which is really exciting because you, you, you essentially don't want to waste time, neither your time or mine on something that's not going to work. And so the, the alignment is really important and just making sure that it has to align to your business as well. You're, you're the consultant. So if you're not, if you're not going to deliver value, then that's just a waste of your time on the, on the flip side. Exactly. And another hard thing with agencies, um, which I felt, and that's why hence our new positioning, um, is that they just work on a very surface level with you, right? Absolutely. Um, like if you're, <laughs> if we're a performance marketing agency, we're just generating leads, MQLs, and it's up to you. No matter if they convert or not, we don't care. Right, right. right. 
but there's a need to go deeper below the surface and really work like faithfully with the client basically absolutely <clears throat> all right Gabby let's get into the rapid fire session okay so this is this is gonna be a mix of uh, personal and professional questions okay um, keep your answers brief and uh, let's see where we go okay okay a movie or season that you're watching uh, um, the boys the boys Netflix Amazon Amazon okay Super interesting. Heroes. it's really good okay uh, a podcast you listen to uh, 10% happiness Ooh, okay well, what's that about is that a spiritual <laughs> podcast it's a yeah it's a meditation um, all about like you know meditation and, and self-help and like helps me keep stay keep me grounded <laughs> I just See, listened to it this morning so that's the only reason it's the first thing that popped up <laughs> well if, if, if it they teach meditation I want to learn that stuff I'm yeah. really looking into that my only form of meditation right now is affirmation videos on YouTube which are literally uh, this this is this one's this these podcasts are better they're, they they're on Spotify there's some of some are 10 minutes some are an hour but they're just really thoughtful good interviews interesting people. interesting favorite food oh I would have to say um, it's probably sushi actually okay um, I know yeah, no, we're not aligned <laughs> over there <laughs> we've been aligned so far not there <laughs> Um, my favorite book that I've read would be uh, Where Did You Go, Bernadette? It's a novel, and the re it's funny that that's the first, it's the first one that popped into my head. It's just a really good, it's a really well-written novel. They have a movie, the movie was terrible, but the book was really good. Where Did You Go, Bernadette? Is that like a romantic kind of thing? Um, it's it's almost like a mystery style novel, but more comedy. It's just a very funny, funny book, actually. Yeah, but it's a novel. It's a fiction novel. Interesting. Favorite holiday spot? Ooh, um, that's a really great question. So I grew up in the Caribbean. I'm from Puerto Rico, so I'd have to say that the Caribbean is my favorite vacation spot. Oh, Puerto Rico. Interesting. Yes. So, yeah. So you're so, um, how long have you been in Australia for? I'm, I'm pausing the rapid fire. No, that's okay. I've only <laughs> been in Australia for two years, actually. I got here in October 2020. Oh, wow. And, yeah. and why, why did you choose Australia? My um, partner is Australian, so uh, it was an added benefit that I could escape the U.S. from COVID. So, I moved, <laughs> my, moved over here. Interesting. And how are you finding it so far? I love it. I actually really, really love Australia. It's a really, really amazing place to live. Yeah. Yeah, it is a pretty cool place. Um, favorite brand. Favorite brand. Um, oh God, I'm gonna say. Oh, brand. It should be an easy, easy one for a girl. Come on. <laughs> it should. Um, it actually, well, it, this might show a little bit, um, on the, uh, my, my, my favorite brand is, <laughs> it's probably Aperol, the drink. It's just beautiful and the old school adverts of it and the way that they do their marketing is like, you know, summer in, summer in Italy. That's the brand, that's their brand. And I love that. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Interesting. 
I thought maybe you'd go with a clothing brand or something, but okay. No, I'm not, I'm not very fashionable. So. <laughs> a thought leader that you actually have to actively follow. Um, his, a thought leader that I actively follow, his name is, oh man, I'm going to botch it, but his name is Chris. Um, Walker. Chris Walker. Yes. Love um, that guy. I love that guy yeah, too. Yeah, he is. One of the few that I follow consistently and like love the stuff he puts out really, really resonate with the way that he does marketing. Um, so yeah, I'd say Chris Walker for sure. Oh, we're, we're very aligned on that one. Uh, your favorite personal favorite marketing channel. Email marketing is my favorite marketing channel. Still with the iOS when you can't track the open rates. It's okay. <laughs> so it, it, I think it's, I still think it's so nice. It's just, it's just, I'd like getting, when people do newsletters well, it's just feel and it's a really good, yeah, I love it. I still love it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a definitely a very effective channel, but very hard to nail down. Like, but, but if you it can, is. it's, yeah, it can be amazing. Yeah, definitely. Your favorite MarTech tool? My favorite MarTech tool is HubSpot. Huh. Yes. <laughs> 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 I'm in it day in and day out, and yeah, I, I still, I still love HubSpot so much. And the best thing about it is like being so such a powerful tool. It's so, still so simple to use. Like it really it's so is. Easy to navigate. It really, really is. And they are one that their journey of, you know, being very SaaS first or sales first to converting to more product led and everything in between. Like they are just a, a brand that I've always admired. Like, and I just I love the tool. And their features that they keep coming out with are great. And um, yeah, they're, uh, I, 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 I mean, honestly, I use it every day, so I couldn't say anything else. <laughs> same, same. We're on, on HubSpot as well. Um, I know we made you God for a little while, which mm. could have been with Derek. That could have been your unpopular opinion, but I'm still going to go for it again. Your unpopular marketing opinion. My unpopular marketing opinion. Um, oh, I'll, this, I'm, I actually might, this might be actually more unpopular is that your brand almost doesn't matter if your content and your like value isn't very good, right? Like you can have the prettiest of brands, but if it's still outputting, you know, crappy stuff that it's kind of irrelevant. So Amen. I think that would be my unpopular opinion. People focus a lot on the brand, right? But that's kind of secondary to the to the rest. That, that sounds like your logical opinion because the only thing that, <laughs> mat that matters is your product, right? If you don't have that, you can't, no way you're getting a brand. <clears throat> Most valuable lesson that you've learned through your career? Oh, I think the most valuable lesson, that's a really good one. I think one of the, I think the most valuable lesson is to always bring it back to basics. I think we tend to overcomplicate processes and add jargon and, you know, say MQLs and KPIs and, you know, attribution and all of the stuff that honestly really doesn't matter unless you get those foundations right. So, I think the biggest lesson is like, just always remind yourself to bring it back to the basics and to build that foundation. Cause if not, you can't, yeah, you won't succeed. Hallelujah. You're from Texas, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah.
Uh, who was an important mentor in your career and what role did they play? She is still my mentor today and I cannot wait to send this to her when she <laughs> when it's wrapped <laughs> up. But um, her name is Amanda McGuckin Hager. She was my she was actually my boss three times in my career, which is really um, so she so the first time she came on, um, I was already on like she inherited me to be on her team. But then she hired me again and then hired me again um, to help with her with like, when she was consulting. She brought me in to work for her. And yeah, she's not only like a obviously a mentor and a personal friend, and she's taught me not only everything I know about marketing, but just like taught a lot about life. And she's just a really good, good person and a great sounding board. And yeah, I smile thinking about her because she's just really, really lovely and um, is a sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on podcast, but she's just a badass. Like she's. Like, you know, just has this, yeah, she's, I could talk to, about her for hours. She's amazing. So she's a mentor and a friend. Excellent. Excellent. And then uh, from your expression, I could see that she plays a big role in your life. Definitely. Um, advice for young, upcoming or aspiring marketers? Um, you don't have to know how to do it all well, but dabbling in everything will give you a better understanding of what you really like. And I think, which might be, this also might be an unpopular opinion, but I think being a little bit of a jack of all trades, master of none is a really good thing to have in your back pocket, even if you specialize in something down the track, because you get exposure to everything. Like, don't be scared to try all of the different, like marketing is so multifaceted. So try stuff and learn stuff you don't have to be an expert in it but try it and figure out what it is that you really love well uh, the, the thing that you just said in about marketing i i, I look at life that way mm, I, totally I, I think it's a stupid thing to try and specialize in something one when the, the life the spectrum of life is so broad it is it, it, it's so just stupid to narrow yourself down to something single and then I think that that advice or, or that mindset could follow in, in professional uh, yeah. department as well. Absolutely. There's no reason to, you can reinvent yourself 10 times over and don't do that. You know, Absolutely. you don't have to, you don't have to like be hyper-focused in one thing, try it all and see what really, what you really enjoy other than anything. Absolutely. As Bruce Lee said, be fluid like water, right? I, I yeah. That's what he said. <laughs> I think so. I'll, we'll, I'll, we'll go with it. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Okay, we've got the final question. It's the big one. It's a okay. really big one. I, mean, I think it's the one, probably the most important one so far. If you get $10 million tomorrow, what would you do with it? Um, I would first and foremost pay off my student loans, which for those of you not in America, they're very big. I would pay off my sister's student loans. I would pay off my other sister's student loans and my parents' student loans. So all the student loans from my family are gone. And then I would buy everyone in my family a home and buy myself a nice big home. And honestly, probably like take a little bit to take a really good holiday, but then invest the rest and live normal. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would do much. Tool yourself? No, hell no. <laughs> I like being I like being not on the non-founding team. <laughs> <laughs>
Excellent. Gabby, um, that's it from my side. This was amazing. Um, I really had a good Thanks time. So um, and uh, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time out today and joining yeah, us. Absolutely. Um, my pleasure. Yeah, let's, let's keep in touch. I'll see you on LinkedIn, yeah? <laughs> yeah, sounds yeah. good. Thanks. See, see ya. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Anatomy of a Rumor. If there is any feedback you would like to share with us, um, if you have any thoughts, any comments, or any particular questions or topics that you would like us to discuss, write to us at aor at rumors.com.au and we will respond to your query. Similarly, if you have any problems in your go-to-market strategy or you're facing any sort of problems in marketing in general, would be happy to have a chat. Simply jump on to the Rumors website and fill out the contact form and I myself will be in touch with you. See you next time. Mm-hmm.